0: Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be with you. I just want to thank you again for being the kind of church that doesn't want to just talk about the gospel but wants to live it out. I don't know where you are, Wes, but what a powerful uh, communion service. That is what communion is about. This isn't just thinking about something Jesus did in the past and isn't that nice. It propels us to live the way He lived for us in the future. And so we, um, when we do what we're doing and we talk about what's going on in the Ukraine, that is uh, in, in Ukraine, it is not disconnected from the communion that we just took. Because when we take communion, we are worshiping A Lord who was broken and poured out for us. We then participate in a meal that is broken and poured out so that we might live as broken and poured out people. It's all tied in together. That is communion. So thank you for living out the sacred moment that we just had in our communion times. Powerful. One of the other things I it so much about this church is that this is a training and raising up and sending church as well. This is a place where... uh, It is a safe and wonderful place to bring your gifts, to use and refine your gifts, and then to continue to share them. And we have that with Cameron, who is interning with us and doing a marvelous job. Thank you, Monty, and all of our worship team for leading us in worship. And also, we're going to experience this again the next couple of weeks. Um, Our own uh, Zach Carsons will be uh, preaching for the next uh, few weeks coming up. I just love that this is a church where we have people that are our own who grew and raised here in such a way they can use their gifts in powerful ways. So Melanie, I will be uh, back up at Nashville next week, but we will be back with you uh, even as Zach is preaching. And so that'll be a wonderful time together. Um, We are finishing today our series on cross training. What does it mean to train into the extraordinary life that Jesus lived? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read together uh, the text we're going to be looking at today. Really short. It's part of a, of a bit of a section here, but really there's some moments in the teachings of Jesus that function kind of like the Proverbs in the Old Testament. Uh, they're just little pithy sayings that are working on us in some ways. And so let's, uh, let's look at this one. Again, this is towards the end. Jesus is kind of wrapping up uh, in Luke's version of what we know in Matthew as the Sermon on the Mount. And so a fitting end for Jesus' sermon seems to be a fitting end for our series. Luke 6, verse 39 and 40. It's short. I'm going to probably read it twice so we can just kind of take it in. This is the gospel of our Lord. Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? No student is above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Let's hear that again. Jesus also told them this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? No student is above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I praise the psalmist did so long ago, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, for years, I have often envied those who grew up on a farm or as many of you did on a ranch somewhere here in Texas. One of the things I love about the stories I hear about those who grew up in farm kind of settings is that you guys learned lessons that some of us took a little bit longer to learn. The importance of routine, especially early morning routine, which some of us still struggle with. Or the the simple value of a hard day's work. Or or my favorite thing that I hear people talk about that grew up on a farm or a ranch is that a lot of times you grew up in a setting like that, you learned to drive better and earlier than most people did. (laughs) Why is it that you learned to drive on a farm or ranch? Why is that? Because from your youngest age, you're going to grow up driving tractors and machinery that would might maybe scare other people. So by the time you get into a sedan or a pickup, man, this is no big deal. I was driving tractors on an uneven ground when I was 10 years old. And I remember thinking about this, and you guys know I'm, I think a little strangely sometimes. And I remember when uh, our two um, now older children were younger, I thought, I want to try to find some way to simulate this experience. Okay, I don't have a farm, but we have a big church parking lot where we were at the time. And I didn't have a tractor, but I had the next best thing. At that time, we had a big old Chevy Suburban. (laughs) I thought, we're going to do the best we can. And so we had our 10-year-old daughter... I moved the seat back as much as possible, sat her up there. Everybody was gone. (laughs) And we're in the parking lot. I thought, okay, we're going to let her drive. And just kind of, the idea was to kind of remove the mystery and the fear of driving the big car. Of course, Melanie was praying. (laughs) The seat next to me, Christine, was sitting there. And the funny thing is, I think for her at least, it had almost the opposite effect. So we put her there and she was scared to death. And she was like, no, Daddy, you do it. So she had her hands up there, but she wouldn't touch the gas, she wouldn't touch the brake. And the only thing she would say is, not too fast. <laughs> Which, by the way, I must admit, as a father, I was all right with that one. <laughs> and that was that was Christine at 10. Of course, David was seven. And she couldn't quite finish before he said, My turn. <laughs> And he's crawling up and he can't reach anything. He's like under it. But he's trying to slam on the gas as fast as he can. And that's the experience of both of us at that time. And here's the thing I think about. What I would love is to take the attitude of both of them and put it together. Because that's kind of what I was going for. Here's the thing. What I love is, in a sense, I want David's sense of simple pleasure and wonder when it comes to driving. I don't know, I've been driving for years, but I still have that from time to time. Don't you have those times when it's one of those great nights, it's not hot, but it feels great outside, and you roll the window down, you put it on Spotify or something, you just hear the music, take a couple extra laps before you get home. I love just the wonder of driving, and David had a sense of that, even at seven years old, and I wanted that. At the same time, I loved that our daughter had a healthy sense of caution, respect, and fear, Right? Because don't miss this, we are hurtling 6,000 pounds of steel into motion (laughs) when we're driving a car like that. And I wanted them to have a sense of that healthy fear and caution. And it feels to me like Jesus in this little pithy piece of wisdom that he gives us towards the end of his sermon and for the end of our series, I feel like he's trying to capture the same kind of idea when it comes to life. To have in our approach to life and our following of Christian spirituality a sense of wonder about us and a sense of healthy caution. I just want to take in this little piece of wisdom. There's two movements of it, but the first one is, can the blind lead the blind? Or won't they just end up falling into the ditch? What can we learn about our lives and our pursuit of Christian spirituality from this little piece of wisdom? Well, first, first thing that I notice, and I think this is so critically important, is Jesus gives us critical wisdom for life when he says, life itself is a moving vehicle. Have you ever thought about this way? Life itself is like a moving vehicle. How so? Because you're not just kind of making decisions. Life isn't static. We're not just sitting there and it comes at us. We're propelling our lives into the world. And when we make choices and when we're living and when we're going in a particular direction, we impact the lives of all the people around us. Life itself is a moving vehicle. And Jesus leads with this image when he says, can the blind lead or guide the blind? What is he assuming? He's assuming that we're all going somewhere. We're all moving in some direction. And the question is, who is leading us and guiding us as we are moving in that space? Does that make sense? Now, he'll go on and use a couple of different images. It is kind of an almost proverbial statement that he gives here, but the the surrounding words do matter in the sermon. So he'll go on to use some other imagery. We're going to focus mostly on the moving imagery, but you can think of the other ones. He goes on to say, life is kind of like a tree. You will bear fruit, he says. You don't have a question. There is no question of whether your life is going to produce something. That's not an issue. The question is what kind of fruit is your life going to produce? Is it something that is life giving for others, that's flourishing, good fruit, he calls it, or is something that will destroy and hurt and harm other people, bad fruit? Life's like a tree, he says. And then he'll end his sermon by saying life is like a construction project, it's a building. In other words, in our lives, we are all building something. You don't have a question about that. You don't have a choice about that. Your life is building something. The only question is, will it stand up when you face the inevitable storms of life? And will it stand up over the course of time? Will this be something that has a foundation that's solid enough to endure? Or is it something that's going to come crashing down when life comes? But in the midst of all of this, that first metaphor and image drives all of it, that that life itself is a moving vehicle. It's going somewhere. Our lives are impacting things as we're going around. And the question is, who is it that is guiding where your life is going? I remember a season in my life many years ago. I'm not proud of it, to be honest. I've kind of alluded to it before. Let me share a little bit more about it. I remember my senior year of high school and then going into my freshman year of college. In my senior year, there's a guy, we'll call him Scott Calvin, that's not his name, but Scott is a guy that I looked up to. Man, I wanted to be Scott. I think of a couple different ways. One, Scott was brilliant. I remember Scott was in my AP English class. I barely got in and he was the star, man. I mean, there were brilliant people in that room, but nobody could touch the giftedness this guy had with words. And I remember one time we had an assignment to do a creative writing project, and then I can do different kinds of writing, but creative writing is not my thing. And I remember he wrote something so incredibly powerful that the teacher read it to the entire class. It's been years, but I still remember. This story about his grandfather sitting on the front porch and the teacher reading it with tears in her eyes. And I remember thinking, man, I would love to be able to write words in such a way that it would bless the lives of other people. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's a lot of people gifted here. But, but nobody is as brilliant in this room as Scott. And I wanted to be Scott. By the way, there's nothing wrong with looking up to him in that way but here's my honest confession to you by the time my senior year rolled around I wanted to be Scott in another way too Scott was the life of the party and as a good Church of Christ boy growing up I was not the life of the party (laughs) so Scott was always going out and he was having a great time at parties and I would be the designated driver at best or missing the parties and and again I'm being honest I'm not proud of this but I remember by the time I got around to my senior year I was tired of following the rules, and I didn't want to be the good guy anymore. And I remember when I first started my freshman year of college, I decided to start living in a different way. And one of the times that I am most ashamed of, not because of necessarily even what I was doing, it's who I had become and and the framework of mind I had when I got there. We had gotten to, it wasn't long, it was about a month or so in, we had the first kind of break, in the fall and we all went home and I remember I couldn't wait to call Scott up and go spend some time with him and I remember sitting in the car and I I just couldn't wait to tell him look Scott I used to be such a loser in high school I said and with this pride inside of me that was sickening I was like telling him I'm not that way anymore man I'm the life of the party now I'm I I didn't say it this way but I was kind of trying to to get some connection with him I'm kind of like you now And he said almost nothing. I remember him just sitting there thinking, I don't know what he's thinking in his mind, but looking back, it's probably like, why in the world would you do that? And I remember driving away thinking, I felt really, really empty inside. Have you ever wanted something? Like you thought you wanted something? And if you really got it, if you just kind of got to that place or you were like somebody or you did something, it would really make you happy. You ever wanted something really bad and you got to that place and you felt even emptier than when you just wanted it before? That's the way I felt. Here's the thing. He was my life leader. He was the one guiding my life. He wasn't trying to do that. He didn't sign up for it. I did that. But here's what I realized that night. I ended up in the same ditch that he would tell me about Later and before that he ended up in. Because in honest moments, he didn't do this very much, but in honest moments in high school, he would tell me, man, I admire you. Because you don't have to be the life of the party. You don't have to do crazy stuff in order to feel like you're somebody. And I made my life like him. And he was saying, I admire you. And here we were both in the ditch, in a place of emptiness. Jesus says, life is a moving Vehicle, be careful and pay attention where it is you're headed and where you're going before you get there, right? Here's the thing. One of the key aspects of what we're talking about here is that we are not talking about behavior and doing actions. We are talking about living and becoming something. Does that make sense? We're not talking about the question that we often ask. Again, a lot of times when we're in school and we're growing up or even at every stage of life, when you go to the next stage of life, what am I doing? What am I doing? We say this to each other all the time. What do you do? Hear me. This is so important. This series has not been about what we are doing. It's about who we are becoming. And this is so important to understand the difference because if we don't hear that, All you might be tempted to hear me say over the course of the last seven weeks is, go do more religious activity. If that's what your takeaway is from what we talked about the last seven weeks, you're not hearing me. This isn't about doing more religious activity. Listen, we are talking about practices and spiritual disciplines that train us and shape us, but I'm not talking about just disconnected activity that we do. We're talking about practicing an entire way of life. Who is it we are becoming? That's an incredibly important question. And that's important whether you're 9 or 90, because we're always becoming something in the next season or stage of our lives. And Jesus is wise enough to say, I, I'm asking questions about who you are, not just what you are doing. And one of the powerful things about Jesus in this story, is he'll actually give us warning signs To help us know if we're headed the wrong way or we're following the wrong guide. You you get that in the surrounding text. What does he say right before this? If you look right before these verses, one of the things you'll hear him say is, a good warning sign that you're going the wrong way is if you find yourself judging, condemning, and being proud over against other people. Right? Do you find yourself judging, condemning, or, or pride over against other people? If we recognize, if we see that, then we'll know we're going the wrong way. In fact, Luke says it very starkly, very very bluntly. He says, don't judge, don't condemn. (laughs) And then it gets almost comical as you get a little bit further into the story. It's almost funny. Jesus tells the story. We've read it so much, we miss the humor in it. But he gives you a word picture of how absurd it is if we find ourselves in the judging seat. Right? What does he say? Man, if you find yourself with a two-by-four sticking out of your eye, trying to do a little eye surgery for somebody's toothpick in theirs, you're probably in a bad place. Jesus says, watch out if you find yourself in the judging and condemning business. Why? Because it's showing that you're going the wrong way. We're students, we're training into a different way of life, but he says, make sure you're training into the right thing. Second thing he'll say here is watch out for self-centeredness. It says give and it will be given back to you in these huge measures. But if you find yourself only taking and receiving for yourself, Jesus says that's a warning sign that you're going the wrong way. Or, Or right after this section, there's an enormous theme throughout. He talks about fruit, but the fruit that he's talking about, good and bad fruit, is the fruit of our speech. Watch out if you find yourself always tearing down another person. You're always criticizing and tearing somebody else down. He says, here's the thing. What we speak comes out of our mouth, comes out of the depths of our heart. So if we have good, positive, life-giving things, that will come out. If we're going the wrong direction with our life, the negative, critical, damaging things will be the kind of things coming out of our mouths and our lives. Again and again, you see these themes, Jesus is saying, if you're going the wrong way. And then the last thing he says is watch out for instability in your life. I'm not talking about grief and, and, and genuine hurt when we're going through struggle, but he says if your life crashes and burns, anytime something doesn't go your way or the natural storms of life hit, it's probably an indication you may be going the wrong way. We talked before at the beginning of this series that that Jesus is the student when it comes to life. But what we find Jesus telling us here is that we're all students. Of every age and every span of your life, we are all students. You might say, I'm 90 years old. Great. You are still becoming what you're going to be tomorrow until Jesus calls you home. We are all called to be students, and we're all moving and growing in some direction. Jesus says, can you watch and make sure that you're going in the direction you want to go before you get there and end up in the ditch and think, how in the world did I get here? I love the image of of even even the technology we use to get places, right? Most of us, a lot of us drive by GPS now. I go, even if I know where I'm getting there, because it tells me where the police are and all that. So, you know, I have the GPS going. But, you know, we can even go blindly in that. You know, there was a news report that said a man literally drove into a (laughs) snowdrift. Right? Not in Cal Station, but he drove into a snowbank. Can you guess Why? His GPS told him to. Now listen, I know there's technology tells where to go, but you still have to watch where you're going. And Jesus says, please watch the GPS of your life. Because we are all students. We're training, we're growing, and we're moving. What is it that we are training our lives to become? Critically important question before you find yourself in the snowdrift or the ditch, wondering how you got there. So that's the wisdom of the first part of the parable. Here's the power of the second one. Think about this. Jesus gives a staggering promise. And if you just kind of read it with our kind of church lenses and church eyes and church ears, we might miss how incredibly glorious this promise is. As Jesus goes into it, he says, look, you will become what you pursue. Hear me. You will become what it is you're pursuing. Or again, even more staggering, here's how Jesus literally says it. No student is ever above their teacher, right? No student is above their teacher. Again, Jesus is the teacher. But are you ready for this? Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Did you hear what he said? No student's above their teacher, but everyone, everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And listen, he's not talking about teaching differential equations or ag business or education theory or whatever. This is Jesus, the master of life, talking about teaching God's way of life. And he says, Now you're never going to be above your master, but you will be like him when you are fully CrossFit and trained. Do you get the promise that Jesus is laying out before us? Here's the thing. I grew up in different stages when it comes to this thing called grace for a long time. I didn't even know what it was. And then when I came to kind of experience some parts of grace, this is what I thought the sum total of grace was. I thought grace was there only because I can't be like Jesus. That's what I thought grace was all about. Like I'll be the first one to tell you, I am a broken, messed up man, and I don't look like Jesus, and so I need the grace of God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And I thought that was the sum total of grace. And sometimes we act like in church that's the message of grace. That's part of it. But did you hear what Jesus said? The grace of God is not just here to accept us as broken as we are. The grace of God is here to change us to be more like Him. Jesus says anybody who is fully trained by the power and grace of God will actually start looking more like me. That's staggering when we hear that promise. The grace of God is here not just to accept us, but to change us. And that means, of course, we will never, ever be perfect. But by the power of God, we can be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. And we can be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today. The grace of God changes and transforms us. Here's a thought. A couple just practical things we think about the last seven, seven weeks. How, how can we practically live this out? Two, two little simple suggestions. First suggestion is think through the different things we talked about. In the training program of Jesus, take him seriously in his promise and let's ask the Holy Spirit, what's something you want me to grow in? Like I I challenge you to say, of all the things we've talked about, don't try to do everything. Pick one thing. Let the Holy Spirit help you. What's one thing I could grow in? And ask him, he said, if you're fully trained, you're going to look more like me. So what's a place in my life I need to look more like Jesus? It, It might just be the vision we talked about at the beginning and here we're coming back to at the end. Like Jesus meant it. When he said, live like me. So what if maybe there was a whole season in my life, I just had to like take that in. Jesus, you really, you really meant it when you say, if anybody comes after you, he, you want them to walk like you and live like you and be like you. Maybe you just need to take that vision in. Holy Spirit, can you help that go from here in my head to my heart? Maybe that's all you need to do. Or maybe the place right now you need to be is in that place we talked about in the proximity problem where we need to step more closely into the lives of people. Maybe it's just one person. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's a class. Maybe it's a discipleship group. Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to come a little closer to somebody else for the sake of becoming like me. Not just hanging out, but intentional Christian spiritual friendship. Maybe that's the thing that God's tapping on the shoulder Or maybe it's the opposite. Remember, he said that next week. Maybe for some of us, we need to step back a little bit. It's just me and God. There's solitude and silence and prayer and connection just with God alone. That might be some of us. For others of us, it might be stepping outside of ourselves in mission and service. We're hearing some courageous things that are happening right now. Maybe, Maybe that's God's prompting for you. And it might not be the other side of the world. It might be serving somebody here in quiet ways that nobody knows might be finding what your gift is and helping bless somebody else. That's maybe where God's tapping us on the shoulder. It might be scripture. We heard about that. Maybe, okay, we've read it. We've done it before. But maybe, God, I want to take it in in a deeper or new way. It, It might be taking this time seriously even more. Like, what does it mean to gather together and worship and pray? All of that. Or maybe as we talk about today, having some mentor or some guide into our life. Whatever it is, I trust the Holy Spirit. I dare you to say, I don't want to just listen to some sermons. Like, what is one thing that you want me to do with this? Here's the second practical thing I want to say. I cannot underscore this enough. Focus on you and not anybody else. You and the Holy Spirit on this one. Like what is Holy Spirit inviting you to do? Here's two things that I will often do that gets me sidetracked when I'm trying to grow in my Christian life. Number one, I'll compare myself with other people and think I gotta be exactly like them. Look, I need mentors and guides. I'll talk more about that later. But uh, the reality is I'm not gonna look like anybody else in the kingdom of God. So his invitation for me to walk closer to him, my prayer might look different. My reading of the Bible might look different. It doesn't have to look like anybody else. And here's the really important thing I wanna say. Somebody else's, doesn't have to look like yours. Can I say this again. <laughs> Somebody else's Christian life does not have to look like yours. This is a, a flaw that I fell into again and again and again. I would have some kind of awakening, some kind of epiphany. "Oh wow, this is the coolest way to pray. It's the coolest way to read scripture or do it. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just something that I needed to learn. Guess who else in my life had to learn it? Everybody else) <laughs> Here's the thing, if God convicts you of something, a way of pursuing him, a way of loving him, a way of serving him, then just start with you and let God worry about everybody else. But here's the thing, sometimes we think our way to follow Jesus is the only way everybody needs to follow Jesus. And your thing that you're fired up about serving, everybody in the church needs to do the same thing with the same intensity and same passion. I love, go read the end of the book of John. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to go die for me. And Peter says, what about that John guy? And he says, don't worry about John. I'll take care of John. You worry about you. (laughs) That's some good advice for us at the end of the series, isn't it? You worry about your spiritual life together with the Holy Spirit. I think he's got the rest of us. (laughs) Is that fair? All right, just a couple practical things. But again, don't miss the promise in the midst of all this, that this actually works. You can actually learn and grow. I don't know about you, but I get excited about it because it takes the pressure off. You used to think I had to be perfect. Here's the great thing. You, you get to learn this. Did you know you can actually learn to pray more deeply and more meaningfully? If, the, if your prayer life right now is nothing but duty and ritual and it is dry and lifeless, I don't condemn that. You're just starting in that place. Mine's like that a lot too. Here's the reality. You can learn different ways of praying. I invite you to say, like, Holy Spirit, can you help me learn different ways of praying to you than just giving you the laundry list and then going on my way? You can actually learn that. But here's the thing. You won't learn it naturally. You've got to train for it. Holy Spirit can do that together with his people here's a powerful thing did you know you can actually learn how to disagree with other people and not be hateful did you know that a lot of the New Testament is written for this very purpose it's really important Did you know you can actually learn how to be passionate and disagree with somebody else and not be hateful and demonic when you do it? I cannot imagine a better witness to our world than us growing in this area of our Christian walk. You hear me? We can learn that, but let me promise you this. You will not learn it on your own. You have to train for it. You know, you can actually learn to discover and use the gifts that God put you on the planet to use. And when you do, you will come alive in ways you never saw imaginable. You can learn that. I won't necessarily do it, you know, instinctually or naturally. You can learn compassion for people who are hurting and in need in such a way that you are actually joyful as you let things go. But I promise you, if you're like me, that's not going to come naturally but you can grow in it. I remember one season of my life praying that I would become a more compassionate person like the woman I'm married to. And my life fell apart and I was hurting deeply. (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh, this is what pain feels like. I guess other people hurt too and maybe it's good for me to reach out to them. The Holy Spirit can teach us the things that we most need in our lives. Did you know you can actually learn to have greater distance from habitual sin that can take you out? And I'll tell you, I grew up in church for a long time and I felt like, this is not what people tried to do, but I felt like most of my Christian life when I was young was telling me a bunch of stuff not to do. Nobody ever told me why and they never told me how. Did you know you can actually learn how to distance yourself from habitual sin in your life that will take you into ditches? You can learn that together with the people of God and I promise you it won't come naturally. But Jesus promises that anyone who's fully trained will be more like Jesus. And lastly, have you ever thought about this? You can actually learn to be so caught up in the delight and wonder of God that nothing else will satisfy you more than him. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about that thing inside of us that we are wired for. Our lives are wired to be connected to God. And you can learn that, but you won't learn it on your own But Jesus promises anyone who is fully trained will be like their master. Can you imagine that? Here's the great secret of Christianity. This does not come from information transfer. Christianity has never been passed on that way. Christianity has always been passed on from life to life. Love the way one writer put it when he said, Christianity is caught, not taught. We can preach a thousand sermons, but this will not train us into the life of Jesus. I'll do the best job I can. Zach's amazing. He'll do an amazing job. But having somebody stand up and talk for a half hour is not going to change anybody's life, I promise you. But life to life, we can be transformed. Jesus did not live his life by accident. He trained for it. And if the promise is everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher, then maybe a great place to start is get a teacher. Maybe a lot of them. Who's somebody a little bit ahead of us on the journey that we can look at and learn from? I promise you, it's not about them and it's not about learning just from them. The Holy Spirit of God said, I'm gonna teach you in the body of Christ so we have to be around other people. So maybe we get a teacher and we become a teacher for those who are walking behind us. Remember, Jesus literally did this. He had lots of teachers, but I'll mention two very quickly. Number one was a guy named Joseph, his dad. And go read the beginning of the book of Matthew. One of the things you'll find is that Jesus' biological father, well, not totally, but you know what I mean, he modeled for him a righteousness that went so much deeper than the shallow appearances of the day. Because he was willing to sacrifice his own reputation not to shame the woman he was engaged to marry. And they called him a Sadiq, someone who practiced righteousness. Jesus learned a different way of righteousness from his father on earth. And Jesus learned a whole lot of things from Mary. But don't you think he learned how to pray from his mama? We still sing her prayers. We still pray her prayers. They even named it the Magnificat because of this glorious prayer that she adapted from Hannah in the Old Testament and praises God for it. And Mary would pray prayers that made angels dance, and so did Jesus. And he learned it from his mom. Who is it in your life that you will be watching? This is the way Paul said it. It's not about that person. It's about God. But Paul says, and I quote, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Who are you looking at to guide you in your life? Jesus didn't get there by accident. He followed people the Holy Spirit of God was leading him with. I'll just give an example for me. I'm not here by accident. I think about one of the many people who guided me to the place that I'm able to do in my life and in my work was my campus minister, a guy named Roy Buchanan. I remember I think it was my junior or senior year. I remember I was finally beginning, oh, it was just the beginning to get to a place where I was able to deal with the trauma and the loss of my father's death. And it hit me one night, and I remember I couldn't, I couldn't get out of the, where the bathroom was, big bathroom in the sink area in our church back there at Virginia Tech, and, and I I didn't want to walk out because I'm crying, I, I just wanted to stay in there, so Roy came in and found me. Big 6'3 guy, 200 plus pounds, he sat down on the floor and talked with me for an, over an hour walking through my pain. And it wasn't just in church moments. We played racquetball all the time, and we would go outside of the racquetball court and sit down and talk about life, talk about this incredible woman I was dating that he would stand in front of us and marry one day, talked about all sorts of relationship things and invited us into his home. I remember one time listening to him pray, and I was thinking, man, this guy isn't just saying words. He knows the God he's praying to. And I said to him, essentially, what Jesus' disciples said to him, teach us to pray. And I still have handouts that he gave me years ago about how to pray and how to read Scripture. And I still, anytime I do a wedding, I do a wedding using the format that Roy taught me years ago when he did ours. I don't live my life by accident either, and one of the greatest goals of my life is that somebody might say to me, man, and I'm a long way away from this, your life and your ministry looks like Roy Buchanan's as he was following Jesus. Christianity passes from life to life, so I, I end with this. What are we about here? This is our mission statement. We know it. We're here to find hope, help people find hope, and to live with purpose. What is that all about? Who does that? This guy named Jesus. Jesus. We're very simply here to train people to be students of the life of Jesus. But that's not going to happen by information transfer. It needs lives to carry it out. I remember some years ago, I was sitting where I often did on Sunday afternoon, and I was sitting down eating lunch, and I had my Bible out there and doing stuff. We'll call him Edward. That's not his name. He was a server that I knew served a lot. And he came down for the first time ever, sat down at my table and asked a question. For someone who's like sold out to follow Jesus, the question almost sounds funny, but if you know the background of church culture and life, it doesn't sound strange. But this is what he said, I kid you not. He said, am I going to hell if I don't go to church? (laughs) Am I going to hell if I don't go to church? I'm like, oh, Edward, it's not about church attendance, man. Let's talk. But I remember driving away that day, and I can't say this strongly enough. He's 20 years younger than I am. You know what? Edward did not need an answer that day. Do you know what Edward needed? Person. He didn't need an answer. He needed a person, someone his age, a group of people that together with him, broken and imperfect, would lead him out of the ditch and into life that mattered. Do you know what Bryan College Station needs more than anything else? Not a bunch of sermons, not even great worship. Thank you for doing it. But what they need are lives, people who are broken and imperfect, but we are sold out to follow Jesus into a CrossFit life. So that we can say, Come with us together out of the ditch. And if you've gotten in the ditch, fine. He, he died so that we get out of them. Let's go together into life. What this city needs are people following Jesus into a CrossFit life. Father God, thank you so much for not making this thing a religion, but making it an entire way of life, for giving us the power not just the vision for that life, sending your Holy Spirit and then Lord Jesus modeling it like no one ever could. So I pray, Father, for this church to be propelled deeper into your life for the sake of the world. For the glory of your name, amen.